Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? Great to see you here. And we have a great show for you. I have a another life coach on the show this week. She has an incredible story and she helps a lot of people heal from abuse just like I do. And, you know, she has a totally different story than I do, but perhaps you may be able to relate to some things in her story. But I hope that you enjoyed the anniversary episodes last week. Um, I'm going to be giving away the book so you get you get another week to share the episodes of your favorite guests and tell me what your takeaway was from your favorite guests. And you will win some of the books that are behind me and the books from your favorite guests. So here's some of Sue's bio. Sue Bowles spent eight years working in college student services and about 10 years doing high school youth ministry and has worked in the nonprofit as well as business sectors. Her greatest privilege was caring for her mom until her passing October 5th, 2020. And she enjoys her vegetable garden, running soundboard, and old musicals. She is a master certified life coach and also speaks at conferences, campuses, schools, and podcasts as a mental health advocate. She owns My Step Ahead, committed to breaking the stigma around mental health struggles. And she can be reached at www.suebulls.com for more information. Of course, I will have everything in the show notes for you guys. So I don't want to delay our interview, my conversation with Sue. So here she is. All right. We're happy to have Sue Bowles on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Tell the folks a little bit about you and what you do. Wow. Well, I am someone who is passionate about breaking the stigma around mental health struggles, and especially with the believers. And I'm sure we'll get into that later. I, I am, I'm going to call myself a voice of hope because nothing happens without hope. Mm-hmm. We don't pursue anything unless we hope something is going to work out. So I, I'm a voice of hope for those who are struggling with mental health struggles, especially with believers. And, and I want to ignite the truth that it's okay to not be okay. That's a little bit about what I do. I do it through speaking, uh, you know, podcasts like this, uh, writing, uh, life coaching, and pretty much you know, whatever opportunity there is to, to, to be a herald trumpet to the truth that God loves you and that you're still going to have struggles and that's okay. All right. I heard that you like musicals. I love musicals. So I wanted to ask you, you know, just for, for a little fun here to get mm-hmm. things started here. What is your favorite musical? Wow. Uh, I was raised on musicals. So that's, the, yeah. in, some, in some ways, that's a great question and a hard question. And pro- I would probably say West Side Story. That's it's, a it's you know, it, it's a great one. Uh, red jacket cover. I still remember it. And a lot of times the, my favorite musicals, my favorite things are because they bring up such great memories. We, we would have days where, you know, growing up where we just put on records and they were musicals and mom and dad would be singing at the top of their lungs. And now, then as kids are singing at the top of our lungs in the living room while we're working, playing around, whatever we're doing and just enjoying that. So I, I really like musicals. I'd probably say West Side Story. Well, that's that's probably in my top three. I'd obviously, um, uh, I'm a musician, so is my husband. But um, I'd, I'd have to say The Sound of Music, and, mm-hmm. um, and I like The Music Man a lot. 
but I'm recently obsessed with The Greatest Showman. Have you seen that? I have not seen it. I have heard, uh, I've seen the video of This Is Me for when they were, when they were, you know, basically screening it to get to get get the show the show green lighted and, and i love that i've not seen the movie yet and i know i should and i know i haven't yet you should put it on your list now i'll have to say that the music is phenomenal the acting is phenomenal now pt barnum was not a good man he was a swindler mm -hmm. so if you can get past the okay this is a great story about including people that are different and finding finding your purpose in life and acceptance. Yeah. But the P.T. Barnum part, you probably just kind of want to <laughs> put that on. This is a nice movie. but <laughs> <laughs> Let's bypass the storyline. Yeah. So gotcha. um, let's start at the beginning with, tell us about your childhood growing up. Did you have a good childhood? Uh, yes and no. The, the, the bits that I remember are good. Uh, there are some bits that I remember that aren't good. There, there's, there's, as I get older and, 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 you know, found more healing in my life, I'm starting to remember more and more of the good and less and less of the bad. So that I, I appreciate that. You know, you know, it was, we had a lot of fun, um, you know, played a lot, those kind of things, but we, we had our moments. Uh, I grew up in a dysfunctional home mm -hmm. uh, long before that it long before it was a word that was said. And, a lot of that dysfunction actually didn't really start coming out until high school. So, you know, in my younger years, it was great. Um, lots of great memories, a lot of fun stuff, especially snow with dad. It was just fun. Hot chocolate he would make, making black walnut fudge and just all these different things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was good. my dad's, my dad could cook. Um, but as, as high school started rolling around, I think it was where I started seeing more things start happening. So yes and no. Uh, but the good thing is, is that uh, there's been a whole lot of healing and uh, it's, it's, it's good now. Now you experienced a traumatic event when you were seven. Yeah. Now, could you just share a little bit about that? Whatever you feel comfortable with. No problem. I, I, I'm comfortable sharing. I do want to give a trigger warning. Uh, what I'm about and some of the things that we're going to get into tonight um, have to do with sexual abuse, have to do with eating disorders and uh, some other things. So if anything along those lines are potential triggers for you, please hit pause, turn off the show, exercise some self-care. The show will be waiting for you when you're ready. So I always want to put that out there first. I appreciate that. Not a problem. Having given a minute for somebody to do that. When I was seven, after school one day, I was in first grade, a classmate enticed me into the woods and raped me. Uh, he held me against my will for about 45 minutes. And... Um, didn't just rape me once. Yeah. And the last words that Bobby said to me, I didn't realize the prison they were going to put me in. Mm -hmm. And he, as he's going out one side of the woods and I'm going out the other because mom's calling for me, he said, don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. That ended up being a 15-year secret. We'll get to that in a little bit. But what happened with that was that this is early 70s. Rape is not on the radar. Mm -hmm. Rape is not discussed. I don't even know if people really knew what it was at that point in time. So I didn't know what had happened and no one knew to ask because it, it wasn't on the radar. So nobody did anything wrong that day except Bobby. And it took me a really long time to be able to say that and then even believe it. But I do believe it firmly now. But that ended up setting me off course. Um, anyone who's a little familiar with trauma knows that it does literally rewire your brain and how your mm. brain processes things. Mm -hmm. Now that can be relearned, that can be corrected, that can be, you can rewire the, the rewiring. Um, but so here I was seven years old, my, my brain was just starting to develop really. And I had this event that rewired it. So my foundation was shaken from the start and that shakiness just continued to build and build and build. And the way I describe it is if you're on a road and you're veering off path, the longer you're off path, the further back it takes to get back to center. So it took me a long time to get back to center. And it was not a journey that I did alone. It took a lot of people to help me out. 
Um, but now, now, now here I am being that voice of hope to, to other people so that as they are, are they, as they're having to face whatever they're having to deal with, they know they're not alone. So you didn't tell anybody at the time, right? No, I didn't tell anyone until my senior year of college, about a month or a month and a half or so before wow. I graduated. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah, and I didn't know it wanted to come out. That and that's that's the the the, the surprising part of trauma is it will uh, it'll, it'll get you from behind when you're not even expecting it. Um, but I'm I'm glad I told somebody, yeah. even when I didn't expect it to come out. Um, but yeah, again, because you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what happened, and and, and no one knew to ask. Mm-hmm. So and all I know is that. As I look back, I realize my emotions were frozen in time that day. Yes. And the, the way I phrase it is the longer you're in the ice box, the thicker the ice gets. Think of something that's shoved in the floss on the back shelf of your freezer and all kinds of stuff in front of it. It's been hiding there for however many years. How thick is that ice by the time you finally clean the freezer and get to it? You know, you're chiseling away trying to break that free to see what your surprise is. It's, it's been buried in the freezer. That's the way my emotions were. Mm. So what, what was your relationship with God at that time? Were, were you raised in a religious home at all? or We were raised Catholic. And I, was, I went to Catholic school all the way through high school. So um, at kindergarten and first grade, you know, I, I wasn't in a Catholic school. I was in public school. Sixth grade, I was in a public school. Everything else was Catholic school. So, um, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really have a good knowledge of God at that point in time. You know, I'm seven years old, so I'm going to going to church like everybody else and, and, and doing the thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But it really didn't, I, I didn't really have any, I certainly did not have a personal relationship with Christ at that point in time. And I didn't really have a whole lot of head knowledge because at that time it was, it was what you did on Sunday. You got up, you went to church, it's what the family did, you came home. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was seven years old, seven-year-olds, seven-year-olds don't really have a lot of understanding about those things. Mm. Yeah, I had kind of a, a similar upbringing. I was, yeah, until I was an adult, I didn't really have a, I didn't live like a Christian. I, I came to Christ uh, this, this summer between my junior and senior years of college. So I came to Christ when I was 21. And for me, it happened at a Petra concert. So I love Petra. Do you? Uh, they have a special place in my heart. For a lot of reasons, uh, but yeah, I love Petra, and I, I came to Christ on one of the shows, the Beat the System tour in 1985, May 31st in Dayton, Dayton, Ohio, and Era Arena. I'm trying to look up the song that I really like from Petra that's on my playlist. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, it's Grave Robber. Oh yeah, yeah, that song. Oh, yeah. I love Grave that song. Kind of like a thief in the night. Oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're making me want to crank up some petra on the way to work tomorrow <laughs> i mean because there there is nothing like driving with petra up loud oh, i mean I and there's it. just nothing like it i mean petra uh man petra is so good they were they did their reunion tour back in 2014 2013 2014 and my mom and i went and i was when john schlitt he was a singer uh, was lead singer John Schlitt, Bob Hartman was still there, and 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 you know, they had different different some other different musicians, but they did a, a meet and greet, you know, autograph signing afterwards. So I got a chance to um, I'd written a letter and 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 got it in, into into their hands to share with them that I came to Christ at their show, uh, that you know mom was there with me and she came to Christ at a Stephen Curtis Chapman show, and, and just uh, the wow. whole thing. So it was just really cool. But yeah, yeah, I love Petra. They must have loved to hear that story from you. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, I, I imagine, you know, you're going to these concerts, you're doing these huge arenas with 10 and 15,000 people. And you might hear how many people go backstage and say they receive Christ, but you, you never know what really took root. You, you mm-hmm. know how many seeds you planted that day. So it's, it's always been important to me to tell somebody how they've affected my life. So that was one opportunity to do that. Uh, and, and, and it, it was fun to talk to them afterwards words and, and, and Xavier read the, read the letter before the show. Yeah, I read your letter. That is so cool. So that was neat. That is such a neat story. I love it. <laughs> you had an eating disorder on top of all of your trauma. Uh, what yep. do you think was the catalyst for that? Was Oh, uh, wow. 
Well, let, let, let me back up before I answer that question. Let me, let me share a little bit about eating disorders because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm. Um, eating disorders are not about food and eating disorders are not about vanity. They are about emotions and control gone wrong. So to having said that, uh, my eating disorder, the catalyst behind it was all the trauma and all the unresolved stuff that happened, you know, after that and, and because of that and during that and, and just everything with that, because I said earlier, my emotions were frozen in time. So anytime you have emotional stuff going on, it will find a way out. Oh yeah. There's a book, the body keeps the score and talks mm -hmm. about different ways that things come out in your body. Mine came out in an eating disorder because it was, it was the one thing I tried to control. I, the way I phrase it is a weird, weird, warped and whacked out world in the mind of an eating disordered person. And, and it, it, in a lot of ways, it is like, it makes no sense. And yet for those of us who are struggling with it, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't make it right, but it makes sense. But for me, my eating disorder started, started in high school. Didn't really take root till, till college. Because up to this point in time, you know, I'd had this trauma in my life. You know, there have been other sexual assaults from some neighborhood kids, you know, in, in between everything. Oh. And so with that, I had put on a mask that Sue's good. Sue doesn't have any problems. Sue's got it all under control. And that takes a lot of energy to play that game. Yeah. Because you're lying to yourself and lying to everybody else and you're lying to God. So I had all that going on. So by the time I get to college, I'm getting to the point where, remember what I said at the start, how, how your brain rewires itself from trauma mm -hmm. and you start off course. So if this is seven and this is 21, I am so far off course, I am one screwed up kid. So I can tell you, I was, I was a very troubled college kid. So my brain was not processing things correctly because my foundation was off to start with. Then you add everything else that happened in my growing up years. Then you add to the fact that I wasn't nourishing my brain the way it needed to be. So I because I wasn't eating properly. So I really was not helping myself in any way, shape or form. Because I was wearing these masks, I wanted everybody else to think I was okay. When inside I was dying, I was crumbling. And where, where it came out was in the dining hall. I went to a small college in Northwest Ohio called Defiance College. Absolutely loved the place. Absolutely love it. And they had, one, they had one dining hall. Meal At that time, the meals were certain time frames. If you miss that time frame, you miss the meal. So I'd get there early enough to make sure I'm gonna eat and everything, get ready to head to class afterwards. But if I had wanted an extra serving of food, if I would, enjoy, would have enjoyed some more food, human need, basic human need, in my mind, it translated it to, if I go up for more food, everybody's going to be looking at me. Mm. And if they're looking at me, they're going to know Sue has a need. And God forbid anybody knows Sue has a need because Sue wants everybody to think she's got it under control. Mm -hmm. so Sue can't have any needs. So instead, I learned to shut off my hunger. I dumped my tray and I got the heck out of Dodge. And I'd go back to my room later and I would snack and I would curb my hunger in that way. There are more than the big three eating disorders. Yeah, that was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> the, the eating disorder I have is called OSFED, Other Specified Feeding and Eating Disorder. What that means is that I do not fit all the diagnostic criterion for anorexia or bulimia, hmm. and yet I have disordered eating. So it's kind of a catch-all in a lot of ways, but there are so many different eating disorders. I, I, there are so many, and men get them too. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And eating disorders are the second most lethal mental health struggle. I mean, I grew and, up during, you know, Karen Carpenter. That mm -hmm. was the only eating disorder I knew of. Right, and, and, and that's the anorexia. There's anorexia, there's bulimia, there's, eat, there's overeating uh, or binge purge. Some people call bulimia binge purge. There's orthorexia, which is an obsession with clean eating. There, there are so many different ones. Mm -hmm. um, you know, OzFed. I mean, I just ripped off five of them for you. So, but with, with the eating disorder, it's about control. 
It's about trying to control your emotions through something else because everything else is raging out of control. So you, the one thing you think you can control is your eating. But eating disorders really have nothing to do with food. Very little. Right. Very little. It has to do with emotions. And it took a long time. I have only been in recovery from my eating disorder for five years. 2016 is when I finally went into recovery. My, my diet, my, my counselor had tried a couple different times. And every time I, I blew it off, no, I'm good. I got it under control. You know, yeah, that's what got me there to start with. Um, so I finally, when I finally relented and got a dietitian involved, that's when, that's when things started to turn. Um, and, and even then that whole process is just painful. <laughs> it's the only way for it because, mm-hmm, yeah. Not only do you have to deal with the eating part, you have to deal with the emotional part. And then, so you have the emotions around the root issues. And then you have the food issues because food is bad or whatever way what, what you want to tell yourself. Food has no, no moral standard. Food is what is. But you're telling yourself that food is the enemy. And then you blend those two together to become friends with your emotions and food at the same time. And you're waiting for a cyclone to start. And, and like I said, it's nothing that can be handled alone. But again, I'm a voice of hope because here I am and I'm fine. I think a lot of people don't know that that's a medical condition. Mm-hmm. You can't just tell somebody with an eating disorder, just stop, stop it. Oh. Knock oh, it off, you know. <laughs> we we oh. all know the, the guy at work oh. or the gal at work that eats the entire box of donuts that somebody brought in the morning. Mm-hmm for the mm-hmm. team and then goes, you know, gets wheeled out in a diabetic coma because right. they eat so much sugar. That's a medical condition that needs help. It, it's a medical condition and it's a mental health condition. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, when I said earlier, it's the second most lethal of mental health struggles. And that is because it's, it's second only to opioid overdose. And for a while their eating disorders were number one. And that is because not only the damage that you do to your body, but also because the suicide that goes with it, because there's such depression and anxiety that are tied with it, that unfortunately many people have lost the struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Karen Carpenter died. That was very tragic, and mm-hmm. at, at a time when nobody talked about right, nobody talked about it. They watched her slowly die. But you're very transparent about that you had thoughts of suicide. Did that tie into the eating disorder or your, or your trauma? Um, I think it's all tied together. When, when you're living unauthentically, when you are, let me personalize it. When I was living un- unauthentically, when I was living my masks, when I was living my lie, my, again, brain wasn't processing right. <clears throat> but then because of all that, the, the whispers and the lies of the enemy were really easy to hear. And they were very hard to fight off. And because I was trying, I was, in essence, I was almost like passive aggressive in terms of my need to be seen, um, wanting someone to, to know somebody cared. And when I, I, I may have acted out, like, you know, acting withdrawn or whatever, and hoping somebody would notice, and then they didn't, then my brain, which already whacked out, suddenly said, see, nobody cares. Nobody cares why you're here. You don't matter. So it, 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 it just became very twisted very quickly because any little thing could tip it off. So there, there have been twice where I have struggled with that. Um, the first time was we were visiting my great aunt at her nursing home and somebody across the hallway in like the day room or whatever had slipped down in her chair and I heard her calling, help me, help me about five minutes and no one got over there to help her. And that is where my brain whacked it out of nobody cares. Why am I here? And, and, and this is, again, this is back in the seventies and, and mm-hmm. you know, early eighties. And, and, and that, and that's just how my brain interpreted it. I don't know if that was accurate or not anymore, but I know that at that time, my brain interpreted that this woman needs help and nobody went running for her right away. So therefore nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So that kicked it to start with. And again, you know, everything's just kind of starting to build up and everything. Um, the second time is when my parents were divorcing. They divorced after 34 years of marriage. Uh, we did an intervention on dad. 
and the next year mom and dad divorced and mm -hmm. I was imploding at that time. I was, yeah. I, I, I had been okay on my eating for a while. And then I quit. I, I wasn't eating. I was drinking. I was not taking care of myself. It was to the point I had friends say that every time they had me over, they made sure they had food out. Um, you know, because you know, they could see, but I, I didn't know how to deal with the emotions. That's the common denominator of eating disorders is, is the emotional tide. And I didn't know how to deal with them. So the only way I knew how was to take it out on myself. And, and so again, I had that thought. Now, at that point in time, in, in, in high school, I was not a Christian. By the time the second thing rolled around, I had come to Christ and there was what I call a nagging optimism. There was something that was telling me it was going to be okay. Hmm. And one of the things that really helped, I worked at a sports camp in Missouri for five summers called Canicut Christian Sports Camp. Loved the place, had a great time there. And met a friend there, a Christian musician at the time named Billy Sprague. Canicut had done a um, discipleship ski trip over Christmas to New, over New Year's one year. And I was out in Colorado and I had gone. Now, Billy's fiance had been killed in a car wreck a few years prior. He and I had lost, lost touch for a while. He was head deep into grief. We reconnected and he was starting to heal. Last day of the trip, I said, I need to learn from something you've been through. And I looked at him and I said, how do you go on living when all you want to do is die? Mm. And he's looked at me and we talked about an hour and 15, hour and a half, something like that. And his last, last thing he said to me was, that's all I know to tell you, Sue, step by step. And he had me watch my shoes on the way down to the ski slopes. Billy had, Billy's, Billy had had a friend encourage him to watch his shoes and to tell himself with each step, one step closer, one step closer, I can do this. And he had me do that on the way down to the ski slopes. And my first thought was, it is a long journey and I am not going to make it. That was 1991, 20 years ago. And here I am still. I'm not only making it, I'm thriving now. It's one day at a but time, sweet Jesus. <laughs> exactly. But, but that, I use that as an illustration to the power of reaching out. At the very start, I said that I am where I am today because I have had so many people come alongside me. And none of those people come alongside anyone without being asked and being invited in or being allowed to come in. And until we reach out and ask someone to be involved in our lives, we will implode one way or the other. We, God has designed us for fellowship. The enemy wants us to isolate ourselves. Oh yeah, isolation is the kiss of death. Yep. Wow. So you also talked about cutting I don't know a whole lot about it, but why would somebody want to cut themselves? I mean, physically harm themselves like that. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And my answer is not going to make sense to a lot of people. Relief. And what I mean by that is the first year, let me share, share a little bit of the background story behind it. Um, it was 2008. I had just started meeting with Amanda in April of that year. Three years prior, I lost a friend to breast cancer and, and I contacted Amanda because three years after my friend passed, I was still grieving her like it was yesterday. And some of my red flags with my eating disorder were starting to come up. For me, one big red flag is I'll open the refrigerator. I'm overwhelmed with food choices. My brain shuts down. I shut the door and I snack instead. Mm. All that was starting to come out. So when I just talked about reaching out. I reached out to my pastor who lost his wife and um, Chuck connected me with Amanda, my counselor. And Amanda is trauma-informed, grief specialist, eating disorder specialist. And we were digging in. And because of all that, obviously the emotions were getting stirred and it just got to the point where it hurt. I didn't. And again, I didn't have a track record for how to deal with emotions. I only knew how to deal with emotions to hurt myself. And while, you know, eating disorder and whatever else was going on, it was just, it was, it was just too much for me to bear. And ultimately was the enemy planting the seed. 
that was what it was. But for whatever reason, when I was at the store one day, I bought a little camp camp knife, something like this long, you know. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I, I started making just small marks on my arm, enough where I could pass it off as a cat scratch, but enough where, where it, it, it drew just a, just a freckle of blood, you know? Um, and it was emotional relief because it was an expression of pain that I couldn't get out in any other way. Again, because I didn't have the tools. I didn't understand. All I know is that I was a tornado inside and something had to give. So that was a way to get it out. Mm-hmm. Um, not healthy, certainly alarming, and certainly a red flag. And true to form, it was December 22nd, 2008. I remember very clearly. I still remember the whole conversation. I actually write about it in my book. And I'm with my counselor. We're talking. And holidays were always been a hard time for me for a while. Sure. So, you know, we were dealing with all that. And she's a Christian, she's a Christian counselor. And now the clear blue, totally off cue. She says, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to ask you, have you tried or have, have you hurt yourself or tried to hurt yourself or thought mm-hmm. about it? And I looked and said, you had to ask that question. I just gave myself away. And, and she said, what'd you do, Sue? What happened? You know, and when I started to tell her about it and she asked about, you know, what I use and where I kept it, I had it in my pocket in that session. Long story short, you know, we had a very direct conversation uh, about my level of safety. Um, She took the knife and we had a very clear understanding of things. That actually helped because suddenly it wasn't a secret anymore. And you're seen now. Yeah, I was seen. And and like I said, it doesn't make sense. It's weird, warped, and whacked out. No, I understand. You explained it very well. Yeah, but by acting out, you get what you're looking for that you don't know how to ask for. Mm -hmm. Did you experience anything like numbness? Like I have a lot of ladies in my groups that they are so numb as a result of trauma that they, they, you know, they do things to hurt themselves just to feel alive because they don't feel anything. Yep. And I think that's part of the cunning thing because at least then I, I, I know I can still feel. Mm. I mean, now, and again, I know it sounds really weird because you're like, but you have all these feelings inside you that you can't get out. It's like, that's exactly it. They can't get out. So at least if I did that, it gave it away. It gave a way for it to get out. Mm. Interesting. So, and, 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 and again, it's, it, it's, it's not God honoring. It is very alarming. Um, it is, it's on the road to making a suicide attempt, quite frankly. But it's and a I'm cry so, for help, of course. Yeah. I'm so thankful a man that... God put that question on Amanda's heart and Amanda was obedient to ask because it wasn't on her list. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't on the topic of conversation. Um, but that's also the degree of mask that I had on because she didn't know and I wasn't telling her. Mm-hmm. But then when she asked, that was, that was like, that was my out. That was my chance. And yet it, it, the, my reaction was, you had to ask that question, you know, because I'm not going to lie to her. But if she didn't ask, I wasn't going to tell, you know, that kind of thing. I think um, the Holy Spirit probably told, oh, her, yeah. told her to say that. Oh, yeah, very much so. Because, because it, it, for her to say, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to ask you this question. Very much oh, yeah. so. Well, we're definitely going to get into uh, some topics that are, are, are less dark, maybe a little <laughs> more pleasant to talk about. Since we were talking about music, I read about your connection with rich mullins and the ragamuffin band who i yes. so much i love rich mullins and it's his song awesome god i mean that's that's a classic but yes. tell us the story about your connection with rich mullins uh and, and let me back up real quick when you say we're getting lighter things you're right but here, here here's the deal it's all tied together it's mm-hmm. not a separate thing all of that darkness we just talked about to the the next part of our conversation, hear and see the light of hope and and, and how God has been working because it's, it is pretty daggone powerful to to hear everything you just heard me say and listen real closely to what you're about to hear. And you will know that it is only the grace of God. So yeah. And and my face is going to break out in huge smiles here. 
because God's redemption is just that cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my connection to Rich and and, and the band and, and his music, I am drawn like a magnet to the intellectual, the spiritual, the life truths in his music and what, what he would share. I saw him in concert a few a number of different times. Got I mean a couple times. And there there was there was a depth to his music. Mm-hmm. There is a depth to what he would say and how he would say it. Rich had the courage to say things that other people only thought and didn't have the courage to say. Yep. He just said it. Um, and, and I appreciated that. And it gave a whole different perspective. Because I was a younger believer. Mm-hmm. So I'm still kind of figuring things out. But um, that drew me to his music. That in and of itself was powerful. And there was just, there's just one of his songs, Hold Me Jesus. Hold me Jesus, I'm shaken like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Surrender don't come natural for me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. You don't hear music like that much anymore. And the depth of that right there, you surrender doesn't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. Mm. I mean, just, just that depth, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, there's something about that that just really resonates with my heart. It's almost like I could use his words to express the depth of things in my mind and my heart, mm-hmm. the anguish, the confusion, the, the celebration, the love. So all that kind of really, it, it really helped, shall I say, when 2014 rolled around. There was a movie that was released called Ragamuffin. And it, it's based on the life of Rich Mullins. If you're not familiar with Rich, definitely look him up on the internet. Yep. Um, and, and, and you will, you will and, and find him on YouTube. And, and you know, they have all kinds of stuff out there. But Rich was killed in a car accident in 1997. And that actually kind of shook me a little bit too. Mm-hmm. You know, just, it, just, it, it shook a lot of people. But in 2014, they did a movie on his life or based on his life. And it was called a Ragamuffin. His band was called the Ragamuffin Band. And that came from, from the, the book by Brennan Manning called the Ragamuffin Gospel. And for those who don't, who are wondering what Ragamuffin means, there are a lot of different definitions. I define it as someone who's tired of trying to make people believe there's somebody that they're not. And you're willing to live authentically and take off your masks. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what the movie was about. The movie talked about masks, talked about authentic living. It talked about parental relationships. It talked about reckless abandon for God. And the first 20 minutes of the movie were really hard watch for me. Really hard. There's a lot of a uh, silent wiping of the tears of, oh, no, mom, he's got something in my eye, you know, <laughs> uh, because, because again, there was still a lot of, I don't want to be found out. I don't know. I, I'm still trying to come to grips with everything going on in my life. It's only 2014. I've only been in counseling for six years with this woman. I've been in counseling before, but not to the level that Amanda and I were going. I didn't, I, I still had a lot of the masks going on. I didn't know who I could tell what to. Okay. So um, the movie was a hard watch. And I watched it a number of times that year. As spring started coming around, the movie producer and the family and friends of Rich started talking about doing a retreat to continue the conversation of the themes of the movie. Mm. Wrong before Nashville came along for Rich, he had something called Zion Ministries. And they did a lot of youth retreats and worship events and camps. So the whole retreat thing was just very, a very natural part because these people were involved in it at that point in time as well. So they did this retreat called the Ragamuffin Retreat. And I was supposed to be in Nashville to visit some friends. I hadn't been in Nashville in, oh, I don't know, 14 years or something like that. And there was still this pool and I finally relented and gave in. Now, one of the cool things about this retreat is that um, they opened up a Facebook group for the people in the retreat. And for the first, they opened up two or three, two or three weeks beforehand so that people can get to know each other. That first year, we're all strangers. The only commonality we have is this movie. And um, they're asking people to share their stories. That's a pretty bold question for, you know, a whole bunch of strangers. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
at the same time, we're drawn, you know, because of that, that draw, that commonality we had of rich, and then that movie, there was something in there drawing us to this. So I lurked in the room for a couple of days, commenting on other people's stories, try to encourage them. By golly, I was not sharing mine because I, had, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know if I was safe. And I hadn't, other than my counselor, I really hadn't told a whole lot of people about what was going on and how screwed up I was. Yeah, so I was still good. playing the game. I still had the mask on. So got up one morning. I was like, I, I, I got to do this. Sat over my dining room, had a pot of coffee on, 4.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there typing out my story. And I think I gulped so loud. I'm like, as I hit send. And all day long, I'm checking Facebook a lot more than I should have been and waiting, just waiting for the shoe to drop, mm -hmm. waiting for someone to make a critical comment. Not once. Instead, I'm reading the room and people are commenting, you are so brave. Thank you for sharing us your story. You know, wow, look what God has done in your life. It's all these things. And I'm like, I'm yes. waiting for someone to trash me because that's what I'm used to. Someone to tear me down or what, you know, whatever. And not once. So by the time we get to the retreat, the pump was primed. So I know the question was about Rich. That kind of tied into everything. Uh, I have, I have a, a phrase on my wall. Uh, it's a quote from Rich. And it says, in the end, it's not going to matter if you have a few scars. It will matter if you didn't live. Yep. And, and, and that continues to be you know, something that drives me. Um, I, I'm still very connected to the music. People have become my family. They're my tribe. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in here in a minute. You know, all because of the music of somebody who found words to speak my heart when I couldn't. And, and that, that just, and, and, and it wasn't, it was even beyond that, it was Rich's music gave permission to be real. And that's one thing that really drew me to it. And yet, it was realness of real being real in your relationship with God, of taking off the masks. God knows already how screwed up we are, yes. but to take off the masks and to be real, his music allowed that. And yet there's such celebration in his music as well. There's struggle and there's celebration all at the same time. And that just really, just really, there was something, he, he was a real, he was the real deal. And that was something that I yearned and I didn't mm -hmm. know how to get. So that really drew me. It gave me an example that, hey, this might be possible. You say so, so many profound things. And I tell the folks all the time, um, I use music as a healing tool. Mm -hmm. And music conveys uncomfortable truth in a palatable way. It can reach into your soul when maybe... A person can't, but the music can go right into your soul mm -hmm. and touch those places that nobody else can touch. So, yeah, yeah. I um, I love Rich's legacy, and and, and, the, and the sad thing is, you know, and, and and this is coming from someone who came to Christ at a at a Christian concert for a while. There, every major turning point in my life happened at a Christian rock concert. So I I love Christian music. Yeah, I, it's just it's just something that really helps me with my expression. I'm going to use a, a, a quote from somebody that says something to me many, many years ago. Today's Christian music is about as deep as a thimble. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's become formulized. It's become... Um, commercialized. Commercialized. Sterilized. <laughs> we talk a lot about God, but I don't know that we talk to God in the music. There's a big difference. Yeah, there's a yeah. few good ones out there still mm -hmm. that are right. they're out there living for the Lord. And it's a ministry, not a, a money-making machine. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't listen to Christian radio very much because of that. It's like, what did I just listen to? Has, <laughs> now, and and there are some groups out there that I absolutely love that still help me take my next step. Mm -hmm. I love Mercy Me. There's oh yes, an, there's an authenticity there that says, "Here's my guts, God, and I'm pouring them all out." I love that. Yeah, 
you know, and, 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 and I don't want to keep, you know, getting the different names of different people, but that's just one example. There's still a lot of meat and potatoes out there. Yeah. And there's some, there's some side dishes out there too. Yeah. Mercy me and casting crowns, I think helped me through, oh, yeah. um, when oh, I went yeah. through my divorce. And Matthew I, West. I, I absolutely love Matthew yeah. West. Matthew West. In fact, I'm, I'm recording another album right now and I have a Matthew West song that I, Mm. and i'm recording it's called the healing has begun yeah we could probably talk all night about that oh yeah we'll have to do that a different <laughs> show <laughs> yeah i can talk all night about music but um oh yeah oh yeah let's let's go back to the uh, the retreats ah, uh you yeah. have the walking stick retreat so what what makes that special yeah. oh wow uh wow loaded question yeah. <laughs> the smile on my face tells you a lot right there already. Um, let, let, so let, let me pick up the story where I left off, okay? There was that first retreat in 2014. I went in, I was imploding. I was not doing well. Um, I went in calling myself the holy exception. I believe that I was too far gone, too screwed up. Everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. There's no way I was lovable. There's no way God could love me. There's no way his kids would love me. That's what I went in with. I was secretly hoping I'd be proven wrong, but I didn't know how to ask for it. So that weekend, I was around people who, first of all, had already demonstrated that they accepted me and they did not judge me just by the sheer response to me sharing my story for the first time. So that, that gave hope, but very guarded hope, a silent hope. Mm -hmm. And leading up to this first retreat, my brother had served 18 months in prison for a drunk driving accident. He came home in August of 2014. This retreat was October, 2014. This was kind of, the retreat was, Kind of my a gift to me for being able to, to, to serve my mom and be with her and be her caregiver while he was gone. And so when he had gotten released in August, he was seeing people. And I mean, I haven't seen you for a while. Where have you been? In prison. And that really struck me because I was like, if anybody had any reason to be ashamed of their story, if anybody had any reason to hide something, he had it. And yet he was being bold about it and owning it. And I looked at my counselor and told her how convicted I was over that. And very forlornly, I looked at her and said, I just want to be authentic. Mm -hmm. Get me ready. And we had six weeks to talk about my fears and, and to get me ready for that retreat so that I, so my walls were down. So I get there and, um, it's, it's a whole series of things, powerful teachings, worship like you would not believe. I mean, and just, just a place to be safe and real. And by the end of the weekend, um, I left there saying and actually starting to believe for the first time that God not only loves me, but he's absolutely crazy about me and he likes me. And, and that, that was new for me. One of the staff members is actually the same one who has since encouraged me to become a life coach. Has uh, told me after, after you know, the year following the retreat that she kind of saw the retreat as a, as a Hail Mary for me. Can God's kids really love me? And can God really love me? And, and what was powerful, part of that safety was Saturday, the second day of the retreat. There was something that happened in a session that was just very powerful for me. And I just broke down. All the tears that I had never cried started coming out. And what was cool is that timeline-wise, yeah, we were you know, ready to move on to the next thing. But the leader said, it seems like God's working here, so let's just let him work. And nobody said a word. So that first year, I learned to accept my story. Because up to that year, that time, I was in denial about my story. I didn't like my story. I didn't like the fact that I'm a rape survivor. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the fact that my folks are divorced. I didn't like any of that. And that's what was chewing inside me was all this dissatisfaction 
and all the emotions that are entwined around it that I didn't know how to get out. And suddenly I found a place that I could be safe. And I was, knew I was loved and accepted and it allowed me to take the risk of taking off my mask. That Sue didn't have it all together. That Sue was an absolute mess. So that was the first year. Then they decided they're gonna keep doing these things. So I'm all in. I have gone to retreat every year since. The first few years were very intense for me because of the depth of healing God was working. Mm. That first year, I learned to accept my story. The second year, I had to grieve my story. And I had, I had a moment before, you know, during our last session before communion, actually as part of the communion service, um, where I broke down and I was heaving, crying for about 10 minutes. Because finally, it was, it was through, one, through one of the, 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 the things that we did, um, it just hit me that my chains were off. And yeah. I, didn't want to, I didn't want to be chained anymore. So that freedom was starting to become real. And things really didn't turn for me until the third year in 2016, where the nugget I walked away with was that I'm valuable God. And that's where I started believing that my story had worth. And that's when the book writing started taking on more fervency. Um, that's when I started believing that my story could help somebody else. So I, like I said, we just had a retreat three weeks ago. Um, and, and that alone was, was huge again to help me over a hurdle. It's been a year since we lost mom. I was her caregiver. Uh, for the last eight years of her life. So a whole lot wow. tied to that. And that retreat again, um, in, in, in little God winks and God surprises, uh, whispers to me. And it really helped me be able to, to take the next step down my path when I was feeling pretty stuck for a while. But that, you know, how do I describe what makes it special beyond everything I just said? Um, it's a place where it's safe. It's a place where we're loved. It's a place where it is most certainly okay to not be okay. Mm. And it's a place to dare to trust and dare to believe that you're loved and, and accepted. And the best part is it's open to anybody. Mm -hmm. So here's the open invitation. Go to walkingstickretreats.org and sign up for the retreat. The next one is the end of April in 2022, Ooh. Southeast Indiana. Please come join us. We're just a bunch of ragamuffins figuring out what it means to be authentic and let God have his way in our lives. And we want more people in the tribe. So come on, we need you. Boy, um, I haven't been on a retreat in so long. That sounds wonderful. God has healed my heart. He has given me a message to share. He's let me share that message in a book that actually won an award as well. Yes. Talk about yeah. your book. I, forgot. I will. This is my book. Yeah. <laughs> it is available on Amazon and Kindle. Uh, it's this much. I know the space between came out in September, 2019. And it's my story. The first half is my story and in much, in much more detail and fills in a lot of gaps than what we've covered here. And the concept is this, this much I know is my story because that's the one thing that all of us know mm -hmm. no one can take our story from us so yeah. this much i know the second half of the book is the space between and it talks about the healing journey that god has taken me on it says this much i know no matter what happens god sees god knows and god is at work to make good come out of even unspeakable horrors Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of kind of synopses that are there. I am working on book number two. It's actually going to be a three-part series. Um, nice. The second one, the second working title is This Much I Know It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And that one's going to dig more into the masks we wear and mm -hmm. why we wear them. And what are what are the different lies that we're telling ourselves that keep us chained? The third one is the working title is uh, 45 Minutes in Time. And that's going to talk about defining moments in life. Mm 
mm-hmm. and about how for at one point in time, what Bobby did to me, what defined me, I let it define me. It kept me in prison. But now through all the hard work of healing, I have now been fl- able to flip that on its head because I define the effect it has on me now. So the third book is going to be talking about defining moments in life. Wow. Your story is so powerful. And, you know, the devil knows that he tries to stop us from telling our story because it changes lives. That's how we heal. I mean, I have this podcast and it's, it's not about just coming on and telling our horrible story. And, and a lot of things we've gone through are horrible, but you know, what my podcast is about and what you're ministry obviously about is healing Mm -hmm. we can survive we can thrive after abuse Mm -hmm. it's not the end of our story right right and and one thing that helped me in the course of all this was simone biles i i if there was awesome (laughs) if there was ever an opportunity (laughs) to tell this to her i would forever treasure it Maybe she's listening, you know, never stranger things have happened (laughs) when she was sharing her story. When the whole me too thing happened, I wrote a blog post about it and the whole deal because it gave me permission. It let me know that it was okay to start being more vocal about my story. Mm -hmm. It went from just something I was going to write and maybe publish to no, now I'm doing podcasts and I'm speaking at conferences and I'm, you know, doing this and doing that and everything. I'm a life coach, you know, and all kinds of stuff like that. I don't say all because, but influenced as well and empowered by someone else who had the courage. That is one of the reasons now that I want to be that voice of hope for others. I want to be that herald trumpet of hope that it is possible to heal you may not feel that way right now, but it is possible. Is it easy? No. No. Is it fast? No way. Mm-mm. Is it worth it? Yes. Oh, yeah. And are you worth it? Oh, yeah. God thinks so. And I think so, too. When we share our stories, there's power there. And we never know the lives we're going to be affected. But that's why I do it now. I'm going to tag her in my in my social media posts. Hey, one of my guests wants you to know something. <laughs> hey, that's cool. You know, if you got the hook up, go for it. <laughs> I don't, but you know, Twitter, you can pretty much tag anybody. So I might, pretty much though. I just try it. See what happens. Right. Hey, stranger things have happened. This, this has been such a great conversation and, and you provide so much value and inspiration to the listeners we definitely want to know how to get a hold of you and, and connect with you. Not a problem. And, and you know, I'll make, we'll make sure all these are in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on social media like everybody else is. Uh, my business name is My Step Ahead. I'm on social media as My Step Ahead on Instagram and Facebook. There's Sue Bowles Coaching on Facebook. The websites are SueBowles.com, MyStepAhead.com. I am a life coach. So while there is a distinct difference between counseling and coaching, if there's something that you're struggling with, maybe goals, maybe boundaries, communication, um, identity, so, you know, those kind of struggles, trying to figure out how do I live in the present so that I can continue to move forward, go to SueBalls.com. I offer a 15-minute free consultation. Be happy to talk with you. And if there is something happening where it's not what I am able to help you with as a life coach, I will help you at least get connected with someone who can help you in the best way that you need it or that you're looking for. Um, you know, the books on Amazon and Kindle. So I mean, just, just all kinds of things. Awesome. Thanks for mentioning that about the counseling and, and the difference between a life coach and a counselor. You know, Sue is a safe person, folks. So Reach out to her. Um, and Sue, so you got to keep in touch, sister. Oh, most definitely. This would be great. And if you end up getting to hear from Simone, let me know, please. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will. But thanks for coming on the show and, and God bless you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.